Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey everyone, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. I'm Matt Miller. I'm the features editor for Single Tracks, and today I'm here with Jeff, who usually hosts the podcast, but today we switched roles. Uh, Jeff, how's your week going? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. The sun's out. Had a lot of rain yesterday, but yeah, sun's out, and it's Tuesday. Two, 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 two. two, two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. going for a two-wheel ride tonight, so yeah, all's good. All the twos. Yeah. And uh, are your hands still numb? They are, yes. Yeah, I've had numb hands for a couple of weeks now. And uh, yeah, really, it's just uh, my ring finger and my pinky finger. But yeah, both hands, which makes typing kind of kind of tricky. Yeah, I mean, have you ridden with numb hands since your bike packing trip? And, and today we're covering Jeff's big bike packing trip. But uh, to give a little prelude, we're talking about Jeff's numb hands. <laughs> right. Yes, the topic on everyone's mind. No, really, just mine. Yeah, I, I have gone, I went for a ride a few days ago with the numb hands and yeah, it's fine. I mean, I think I've actually, I don't know if you have, Matt. I mean, I've had plenty of rides where like toward the end of the ride, I'm like shaking my hands out and feeling some numbness. So yeah, it's not necessarily a new thing, but it's definitely new for me for it to like last for weeks and weeks. Yeah. To just be sticking around. Yeah. Even when, right. Even when you're not on the bike, it's a little weird. Yeah, so let's uh, let's dive into how you got these numb hands. Uh, so today we're talking about Jeff's experience riding the Hurricane 300, which is a bikepacking route or race. We'll we'll figure that out in uh, Central Florida. So to start off, Jeff, can you tell us a little bit about the Hurricane 300 and why you decided to ride it? Yeah, so the the Hurricane 300 is actually. Um, this year anyway, was 360 miles. I don't know if like the first time they did it, it was only 300 miles and Carlos, the organizer, he like just keeps adding more miles on to make it even more heinous. But yeah, it's a, a bikepacking route slash race. Um, this run in central Florida starts in Ocala, which is where the Santos uh, mountain bike trail system is. And mm. if you've never been to Santos, it's really awesome. I mean, it's by far the biggest trail network in the state of Florida, um, pretty centrally located, like an hour north of Orlando. And yeah, I, at this point, I don't know, 40, 50 miles of single track, like in this one uh, trail network. Yeah. And so, yeah, the race um, is run once a year, uh, usually in early February. And it starts kind of in the middle of Santos and then alternates from year to year. Some years they go clockwise, sometimes they go counterclockwise. For this year, for 2022, Carlos decided to do something a little different and didn't tell anybody which direction we were going to be going. Uh, so I made planning a little trickier for a lot of folks, you know, not knowing like, which way you're going to go. And, you know, that obviously plays into like where you're going to stop for the night during the ride and stuff. So, and resupply. And fortunately I was riding with some guys who had done it in years past. And so they had a pretty good idea of the route. And so we kind of studied ahead of time, like, okay, this is what it's going to look like for clockwise. This is what it's going to look like counterclockwise. And it ended up being counterclockwise. So yeah, that's what we did this year. So when did you find out that, uh, or which direction it was supposed to go? Uh, t officially two hours before the start of the race. Oh gosh. Yeah. So like, yeah, it was funny too. Everybody checked in the night of the race. Like, uh, they had pizza and stuff and you just kind of signed in and, and everybody was speculating like which direction it would be. Most people thought it was going to be clockwise. And so we kind of joked with the organizer, Carlos about like, you know, which way is it going to be? And man, he was like, he was like a brick wall. Like you could not tell <laughs> <laughs> he was not giving away anything about which way we we're going to be going. And so, yeah, everybody sort of checked their Facebook, like the morning of the race. And that's how we found out. And so, yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, you had to prep 
prep going both ways and be prepared to to make stops and and rests uh, for each each both ways basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I, I have to give a lot of credit to uh, one of my friends, Chris, who is it's like a you know consultant business guy, and so like he's always in meetings and doing spreadsheets and powerpoints, and like man, he like came up with these route sheets and cue sheets and everything. I mean, it was like super detailed. And I mean, he knew down to the minute, like where kind of based on his plan, like where we should be and and where we could, you know, refuel. And if something happened, like we needed a bike shop, like where was the closest one? And so, yeah, it was super helpful. I, I mean, it felt, it felt a lot like cheating really to have access to like <laughs> yeah. that level of planning. Like, I think if everybody had that, it would, it would make the race a lot easier for sure. Yeah. Good to have a Chris on your team. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So why, why the hurricane 300? Um, I know we've had, was it Chris that wrote about it, uh, here years ago, or you had a friend that wrote it and wrote about it for single tracks before, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was Paul that wrote about it. Yeah. Another friend, um, that rides in the same group. And I don't, I don't know if Chris did it that year, and, you know, Aaron Chamberlain, who used to work for Single Tracks, did it um, while he was working here and, and covered it a bit. But yeah, it's a, it's a race that a lot of my friends have been doing for years. And, you know, I mean, for me, it's like I live in Georgia and, you know, it's nice in Georgia, but we do have kind of coldish winters. And I was really looking forward to just having something to do in February, you know, go down to Florida, enjoy the nice weather. You know, I've, I've ridden in Florida a number of times. A lot of times we go down in February, our family does and, you know, ride Santos and I've ridden Alafaya and some of the trails around Daytona beach. And man, every time I've gone down, I've loved it. Like it's just so different and just really beautiful. And so I was looking forward to that for sure. Um, just having like an extended three or four days of, of riding Florida single track and, it's also flat, which <laughs> to me, yeah. like made it seem much more accessible to say like, okay, I think I can do that, you know, versus trying to ride up mountains and, and stuff with a bunch of heavy equipment on the bike. Right. So it seemed a little bit more approachable, um, since this is kind of like your first long distance bike packing trip. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, yeah, also I guess a good reason to get out of the house in, in February and, uh, and do something when you're not usually mountain biking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I mean, that, that sort of made it challenging from a training perspective as well. Just, you know, getting ready for the ride. Obviously I want to get in longer rides and it's tough. It's tough Mm -hmm. before holidays. And then like January, you know, it's rainy and cold and just getting motivated to get out and do those training rides is tough sometimes. So yeah. But at the same time it's like, yeah, let's kick off the year. Right. And do something, do something I've never done. Did you feel like you were cramming for a test sort of with a short, short timeline? Yeah. I don't remember when I decided to actually do it. It may have been December. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I had none of the gear you said I'd never done a real bikepacking trip. I mean, I had done like hut to hut, uh, which is, you know, where you, you basically carry like your personal supplies, like snacks for the day and clothing, but you know, otherwise like all your sleep stuff and, and like meals are taken care of, uh, at the huts. So yeah, this was my first full on bikepacking trip. And so I had a lot to learn and, and yeah, the fitness part too, you know, I mean, I, I stay in shape and, and I ride I'm great for like three, four hour rides. I could do a six hour ride and, and probably be okay the next day. But yeah, this, this was, this is a whole other beast. And I, in hindsight, I definitely would have enjoyed it more if I had been training for, say, months instead of like a month. <laughs> yeah. So what did the training boil down for you? Like, I mean, yeah, what did, you know, you've got a month, what, maybe a month and a half tops to train. What did that end up looking like? Uh, really just for me, it was like just doing more rides. You know, I, I typically, I run a fair bit, like during the week and jog, like, I probably spend, yeah, maybe roughly the same amount of time jogging as I do biking normally just to, to maintain fitness. And so, yeah, I shifted everything I could to biking, um, just trying to 
to put more miles in. The biggest thing that I wanted to do, well, one, I wanted to make sure I could do like longer rides. So I did go planned out a few like, you know, 50 ish mile rides, mountain bike rides, um, and was able to do those with friends, which really helped because my goodness, like that's a lot of, it's a lot of biking by yourself. It can get boring. And then the other thing I wanted to do was make sure I could do it back to back. So I, one time, one weekend, I was able to do like a 50 mile ride. And then the next day do another 50 mile ride. And after that, you know, I felt pretty confident that like, okay, my body can do this. I'm ready. And then I guess the other weird training thing I'll mention is that one of my friends said, yeah, you know, basically you need to get your butt in shape for like all that saddle time. And so I took that to mean like ride without a chamois if you can during the training. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't think he said that. I think I made that up, but, but that's, that's what, that was my method. So I rode without a chamois, which I, I usually do wear a chamois during mountain bike rides. So all my training was done chamois to sort of build up, build up my tolerance for saddle time. But then during the race itself, I did wear a chamois. Yeah. Bold, uh, bold chamois training. Did you, did you feel like that helped at all? Yeah, I think it did. It, well, and it actually, I don't know. I think Jerome's talked about it, you know, like, I don't, I don't think he rides with a chamois anymore. And yeah, I'm hearing from more people who ride a lot that they don't use them. So yeah, it gave me the confidence to be like, Oh, actually maybe I don't need this thing anymore. And yeah, I can just go for a ride. It doesn't have to be a big deal. Like, Oh, I got to get dressed, go for a ride. I can just like hop on the bike and ride for a few hours. Right. Yeah, I, there's definitely some people out there who just skip it altogether, and I've never had luck doing it, um, especially riding frequently and, and riding long distance, but also swap bikes and saddles a lot just mm -hmm. as part of the gig. But yeah, maybe there's something like, you know, people sort of shake their fist at like the shampoo industry telling us we need shampoo, but like if you just don't wash your hair, it like evens out and doesn't get as oily. <laughs> so maybe there's something like that in the chamois industry. That's right. Big chamois is trying to get us all. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me too. This was the first time ever that I've used chamois cream. Like I, I never, I, I honestly, I was scared of it. I was like, this stuff's weird. I don't know if, if I want it, if, I, if I'm going to enjoy it. Um, but I figured this was the time this was like on race day, smeared some, uh, chamois cream on my chamois and yeah, it was good. So <laughs> lots of new firsts for me. And, and what about your bike? Like, I know you took your orange hardtail. Um, I mean, do most people ride hardtails? I'm assuming there's a lot of sand, but yeah. Like what, what was your ideal bike? And then how'd you end up setting up the orange? Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting because it seems like we're seeing this trend of like people racing on drop bar bikes or, you know, doing bike packing trips on drop bar bikes or, even gravel bikes. And well, I, you know, I do have a gravel bike, but it's not a great one. So it wasn't really like I was trying to decide, you know, should I, should I do a gravel bike or a mountain bike? But the mountain bike ended up being the best choice by far. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's an orange hardtail. You know, one of the advantages of a mountain bike with flat bars is that you have a lot more bar space for your handlebar roll. Cause you know, if you have drops on there, that really limits like the width of any sort of bag you can carry up front. But then, yeah, otherwise I didn't really change much on the bike. You know, the tires are the ones that I've been running for a while, the Vittoria Sierras, uh, which is a, a new tire, I guess that came out in the last year or so, like a down country sort of tire, like 2.4 inches wide, I think, okay, or maybe two and a half. And so, yeah, that worked well because the conditions really vary a lot. I mean, I think with any bikepacking uh, trip, it's going to be that way where you're on pavement for some part of it. You're on gravel roads. Hopefully you're on single track. You know, this course was, I think they claim it's almost a third single track. So like hundred plus miles of single track. And so, yeah, it really helps to have a bike that's pretty capable, a mountain bike, you know, and suspension to, you know, you just don't feel as beat up for sure. One of the guys in our group was on a gravel bike and yeah, he, I, I think by the end of it, he decided he, he probably would do it on a mountain bike the next time. Oh, really? Just, uh, the gravel bike's not, not forgiving enough for it. Yeah. 
Yeah, which is surprising because, again, I mean, I had a lot of misconceptions before the trip for sure. And yeah, I was just assuming like, oh, it's Florida. So it's not like it's going to be, you know, super technical or rocky or anything like that. You know, it's going to be sandy and pretty smooth. But yeah, by the end of it, he felt pretty beat up. You know, a lot of the gravel roads are, are, uh, washboard or they have potholes and things in them. And so yeah, over time you want, you want some kind of suspension. I actually, I talked to some folks after the trip some professional bike packers and one of them was uh Kurt Refsnyder and he was mentioning how you know he rides a full suspension bike on like every one of his oh wow uh bikepacking races yeah and like i want to say he he even has like those suspension grips like some like those rev grips like <laughs> he basically has everything that he can to add more suspension more shock absorption uh, because yeah, man, after miles and miles, uh, that vibration like really, really adds up. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I feel like that's a tough choice for a lot of people kind of taking on these routes and challenges. And I know, uh, it was John who, uh, I can't recall his last name, who is running the Arizona trail race now. And he said, he always gets questions like, Hey, should I ride a gravel bike? And I'm like, no, don't. <laughs> <You know? laughs> After like it, it seems like a logical choice because it'd be lighter and more efficient. But um, yeah, you'd probably thank yourself for taking something more, uh, more comfortable and forgiving over that long of a route. Yeah, yeah, and like gravel bikes too. It's like they have that huge front triangle, and you're like, oh man, that's lots of storage space that I could use. And yeah, but but you really that suspension comes in super handy during the trips. And one of the things that Kurt said was that, you know, I mean, again, you do see a lot of people these days riding um, and doing well on gravel bikes and some of these bigger routes, but his hypothesis is that it's like the younger riders, you know, folks that are like in their twenties who can mm. sustain like that amount of just punishment on their bodies. Like the older guys, you know, for a lot of us, it's, we need, need a little bit of cushion. Yeah. And you might also age yourself more quickly if you're the younger guy who's <laughs> running a gravel bike. Yeah. You can only do that for so many years. <laughs> yeah. So I guess walk us through the start. I mean, it, it, I was wondering if, if there's sort of like this big routine to it, I was assuming there wasn't like a start line and, and shot from a pistol, but yeah, I mean, how was it organized and how'd you guys end up taking off? Yeah. So it was actually a debate in our group, whether we would do, you know, they call it a grand depart, which I think, yeah, I don't know who made up that term. I mean, I've heard it associated with like the great divide race, but there was a grand depart and it was set for like 9am and the guys in my group, we were all thinking, let's just go, like, let's just wake up and go, you know, not mm -hmm. be out all day, you know, get an early start. But we, we did end up doing the grand depart and yeah, basically it was a bunch of bikers kind of all gathered around and Carlos, the organizer was there and he had a megaphone and yeah, he just was looking at his watch. And as soon as it hit nine o'clock, he yelled go and everybody's just sort of like soft pedaled out of the campground. There were a few people there like family members, I guess, or maybe some of the other campground guests who were like, what is going on? Like they kind of gathered and were watching and clapping, but yeah, it was kind of underwhelming, I guess I would say. Yeah. Okay. I don't think any of the guys in our group had even done the grand depart before. I think they usually just kind of go out on their own same day as the start or in the past. I think they even started the day before, but, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, not, not super exciting. It was interesting too, because everybody else was like super nervous, not super nervous, but everybody I talked to ahead of time, you know, was like, they had their stuff ready and they were kind of antsy and, you know, saying they were nervous. And I was thinking, honestly, I'm not, but that's because I'd never done one and I didn't know what I was about to get into, you know? So I probably, I probably will be nervous for the next one, but this one I was super <laughs> naive and just like looking at my watch, like, all right, we're going to go now. Yeah. You're sort of ready to go. Yeah. And so like, 
I'm sure you've sort of built up a lot of expectations for the first day and, and how it's going to go. What were your expectations for riding the first day and, and what was the reality? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, so yeah, so many things that I was wrong about. <laughs> so the start of the, the race, start of the course was a lot of single track. And to be honest, I mean, you know, to be upfront, I love riding single track. Like that's why I'm a mountain biker. Um, and at the same time though, I, I figured that the single track would get to be like sort of the annoying part. You know, if you're looking at like the mileage you have to do, you know, you know, you can cover way more mileage on the road much more quickly. And so Mm -hmm. I was kind of thinking that I would, you know, not enjoy the single track and that I would like kind of dread it, you know, as we were coming up to it on the course, but, um, single track actually ended up being, the most fun part, which I guess I should have known because I am a mountain biker, but, uh, but yeah, the single track part was great. And then it was actually the roads that really just kind of got to me and were not fun at all. Like, and maybe, maybe just cause I'm not, I'm not used to riding on the road. And so, yeah, I felt myself like kind of falling behind other folks who are like more used to like getting arrow and, you know, really cranking on the road. But I, I just got bored and yeah, really didn't enjoy that part. And the other thing I think that I was looking forward to that first day was like, just getting like out, like just getting away from everybody and from traffic and everything. And just imagine these like, you know, wide open, like sand roads with like beautiful oak trees and like moss dripping from them. And it was just going to be like, quiet and we'd hear like the birds singing and that was the part I was really looking forward to on day one but yeah never really found that (laughs) we never got to that point where I was like ah okay this is this is it this is the relaxing part yeah it was it was a lot more just yeah just not what I expected the terrain and and everything a lot of like scrub forest you know like pine low pine trees and kind of like palms and things in it. There were like prescribed burns going on too. So Mm. the air was sort of smoky and everything was black and charred. And yeah, even on some of these roads that you figure would be really remote, there were people, there were houses um, out there, mobile homes. And so, yeah, there, there was less of like feeling like you're really away from it all than I expected. I would find that first day. And then yeah, we did. We rode a really good single track section uh, in a area called Kroom. I think there's, as far as I know, 20 plus miles of single track in that section that we rode. And yeah, that was actually, that was a ton of fun. Sort of got dark while we were riding there. And, and then it started raining. It was, was not so great. But yeah, just a lot of variety, even in that first day alone. Yes, yeah, so you're expecting like some sort of peace and serenity, uh, along the first day. And I mean, was it, was it the burns or were people still sort of clustered together and just didn't spread out as quickly or was the road just too terrible? Um, yeah, it was, well, definitely the riders, we did spread out pretty quickly and sort of, yeah, our group stuck together, but yeah, I, I think it was just more, there was like signs of civilization sort of around every turn. And I mean, looking back, that's to be expected because you're covering a lot of miles. And that first day we covered 110 miles. And so, you know, while there were stretches, you know, of say 20 miles where you don't see anything, there's also lots of stuff you see in between. So like all day long, lost count of the number of cars or houses or people or things that we saw. Cause yeah, you are, you are covering a lot of ground. And so what time, uh, you said it was 100, 110 miles for the first day. What time did you guys end up rolling in a camp or, or deciding to settle? Uh, that night, yeah, we probably finished around 11 p.m. And so, yeah, that's where that like early start kind of comes in. You know, it would have been great to start at, say, 7 a.m. and finish at 9. But, yeah, so we, we rode, rode pretty hard that first day to get get in a good position. Our plan, Chris's plan for us was to ride... 120 miles per day. So pretty evenly spaced out. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, that was kind of a, a not a bummer, but it, it had me a little concerned like, Oh, we didn't, you know, meet our goal for this day. 
and it's already 11 o'clock. Like I'm ready to go to sleep. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So it's interesting, like to have that plan, but then to realize like, you're not going to necessarily going to be able to, to follow it exactly. Did you guys end up like cooking dinner together and, and sort of like cheersing the, the day or were you pretty ready to pass out? No. And that's the biggest, that was the biggest surprise for me for sure. You know, I'd, again, had, having never done this and, and there are, the other thing is there are a million ways you could do a bike pack trip, you know, depending on how you plan it and your mileage and all that. But yeah, I imagine that we would have that sort of time. Uh, in the evening to like set up camp and like kick back a little bit, maybe even, you know, have a campfire or, or something like that. And yeah, with our schedule and sort of how we were trying to do the race, yeah, there was not time for that. So we had like stopped at a gas station 20 miles or so before we ended up camping and picked up whatever we could for dinner that night and then breakfast the next morning. And so yeah. I mean, we were constantly just eating the whole time too. So it wasn't ever like sit down for a meal or, or anything like that. So yeah, by the time we got to the spot where we were camping, we had been looking at the radar and realized that like there was kind of a break in the rain, but it was going to start raining pretty hard again soon. So, you know, we, we quickly like got our camp set up, got our tent set up and everybody just jumped in and tried to go to sleep. What time were you up the next day? Um, uh, before seven. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know exactly. And again, it was, uh, somebody checked the radar and was like, okay, it's kind of a break here in the rain, but like, it's going to start raining pretty hard again and, and keep raining. So, you know, might as well pack up as dry as we can and then just get our rain gear on and, and ride. And so second day, I mean, you've got a full day behind you. Are you like, yeah, let's go do this. Or you, you kind of like slowly pulling your socks up. <laughs> uh, yeah, that second day. Yeah, I was definitely tired and yeah, not really sure how I was going to, you know, bounce back from that first day. Cause that, that had been my longest day ever on the bike, 110 miles. I had done a hundred mile race, the Cahutta, uh, many years ago, 10 plus years ago. Um, and so that was my previous longest ride, a little over a hundred miles. So yeah, I wasn't sure 110 miles if how I'd feel the next day. And, um, again, the weather, like really, it was really getting to me, to be honest. And just like gray skies all day long. Like you really couldn't tell what time of day it was. Um, cause it's just the same, like flat gray light all day long. <laughs> and, yeah. So that, that was a tough day for me for sure. Like to just motivate myself to like keep pedaling and, you know, look around it, it all just kind of blended together. Lots of flat sand and, and gray skies. I'm sure that gas station food helps boost morale a little bit, right? Like <laughs> you get to seven 11, you're like, yes, a soda and some chips. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Or no. Yeah. No, I mean, in a way it does, right? Like everybody's buying their comfort food and, you know, some of the guys were, were buying like beer or like, I don't know, the Coca-Cola black, like the Coke with the coffee in it. And, you know, it's like just all that junk food that I don't know that you wouldn't normally buy. And I don't know, at first it is exciting. Yeah. And yeah, I'll take whatever I can get if I can find some silly or something I haven't eaten in a long time, candy or whatever, then yeah, it, it actually does help morale. But point taken that eating gas station food's not great. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm sure it, uh, it loses its appeal pretty quickly. Yep. Uh, what was the distance like for, uh, for day two? So day two, we did 130 miles. Dang. Um, so yeah, yeah, we were back on track uh, as far as our average mileage was concerned. And yeah, part of on day two, we rode through this area that people call the Florida Pyrenees. I guess that bikers call it the Florida Pyrenees. I don't think anybody who lives there calls it that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's this part around some town. I don't know, Apopka, maybe Lake Apopka. And yeah, there's these, these hills and they're, they're pretty substantial. I think the tallest one is like 350 feet above sea level. So you're going from like a hundred feet above sea level, give or take to 350. And 
there were a bunch of them. I mean, the, these roads, these are paved roads, um, in like sort of like a neighborhood. They go up and down these hills and too many to count. Um, and I actually enjoyed it. I, again, that was the thing. I was like, Oh, I bet those are going to suck because I'm going to be tired and I got all my gear. But, but yeah, it was actually a good, uh, relief from just pedaling flat, sandy stuff because it's like, you know, it was a bit of an effort to ride up one of these hills, but then you got to coast, which was like, we didn't get to do that at all the first day and a half. There was no coasting. And so, yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of fun doing that. And it, you know, we were there kind of at sunset. And so, yeah, it was kind of a cool thing. And so it sounds like, uh, these, these hills, the Pyrenees there on road also, or did you get any single track with, with descending here? Yeah, no, it's all, it was all road. But it's still like gravity doing some of the work for you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it was like, hmm, maybe I would have liked a, a bikepacking route that had some hills on it because at least you can rest a little bit when you're going down. Yeah. <laughs> what was uh, what was your average speed, do you think, through through the trip? I think it was pretty consistent around 10 miles an hour, give or take, maybe a little less. You know, two of the guys in the group, uh, that I rode with, they had done the hurricane many times before. And so they were the ones that had this ambitious plan and, you know, were truly more fit, more prepared, <laughs> like more everything than me. Um, and then one of the other guys in our group, he, it was, I think he had, he'd done some bikepacking before Borja, but he, um, had, like me hadn't really trained. He signed up like the week before or like two weeks before. And so, dang, yeah. So I think I definitely was a drag on the group in terms of them like waiting up for me. And I probably, probably brought our overall average down maybe a little less than, than 10 miles an hour. Okay. What time did you guys get into camp on day two? Uh, day two, I think it was again, it was after 11, probably 1130. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it was another, another long day for sure. Was this the night that you guys had some, uh, some gunshots going off near the tent? <laughs> that was actually the first night. Yeah. Yeah. We had some, yeah. And this is funny too, because Chris knew this campground, you know, he's like, Oh, I've seen this in years past. There's a really good spot to camp. But the last time we were there, there were a bunch of guys in pickup trucks, like in the middle of the night, like just hanging out there. He's like, so last time we didn't camp there, we didn't really feel comfortable, but you know, if, if they're not there, maybe it would be a good choice. And I thought that was silly, right? I was like, what? Who cares? Like, these, yeah. these folks don't want to mess with us, I'm sure. Yeah, maybe they'll even like have some beer and we can all, you know, sit around campfire. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, as luck would have it, when we got there, it was raining. And, well, you know, I figured it was raining. Nobody's going to be out here. Um, but sure enough, there were a couple of trucks we could see their like parking lights on down in this area. And, but we were like, well, it's raining. Like, we got to stop. It's late. So we kind of like found a spot that was hidden by some bushes and stuff like off the road so that nobody would notice that we were there. And like, at some point a truck like turned around and was leaving and we like all turned our lights off, you know, like <laughs> we're literally in the middle of setting up our tents and we're like, everybody shh, shh, turn your lights off. <laughs> and we see this truck like just slowly like driving up the road and we're like, Oh, did they see us? but they didn't or they did and they didn't care and we were being silly, but yeah. But then sure enough, I mean, as soon as we had got our, our stuff all set up, like another truck comes down, we're all in our tents. And then we, I mean, these guys are not more than like a hundred yards from where we're camped out. And again, I don't think they knew we were there, but yeah, we heard this just like rapid gunfire. I mean, it was like, semi-automatic like i don't know i'm not a i'm not a gun guy i don't know (laughs) what kind of gun it could have been or what what they would even be shooting at they weren't hunting but yeah it was like saturday night in central florida (laughs) that sounds like a country song (laughs) but i mean yeah have you ever really really camped if if you haven't slept in a tent with uh with gunshots going off near you right Right. And again, like I, I had heard these stories and I was like, oh, you guys are being silly. Why were you scared? But now I'm like, okay, yeah, it was a little scary. <laughs> yeah. You would definitely prefer to be camping a little farther away. Yeah. I mean, I live in the city. I hear all kinds of 
gunshots and explosions and car backfires and sirens and like i'm used to all that like it, it doesn't concern me but when you're in a tent and you know in the dark it's a little scarier <laughs> yeah for sure all right waking up day three yeah how are you feeling on on day three? Oh man i was feeling pretty terrible and there's a, a photo that we published that uh, my friend chris took of me that had all my gear packed up and everything and like just waiting for everybody else to like get ready to roll that morning. And yeah, I've just got like my head between my knees and looking back at it, I was like, Oh, I bet people are going to think that this photo was like staged. Somebody was like, Hey, Hey, act like you're not having fun. But it was like, (laughs) no, that was real. Like I really was just like trying to get my head straight and be like, okay, this is it. Got, you know, 120 miles to go. Like I'm really tired. It's wet. Like just ready to be done with it. And yeah, I was really dreading the day for sure. Believe me, I'm truly not having fun. <laughs> this is not, this is not acting. Uh, yeah. When that story went on Facebook, one of the comments under it, because your title was, uh, mountain bikers know how to have more than one type of fun. Right. Mm-hmm. And somebody had said, that guy does not look like he's having any fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't, that's the point. Yeah. It was type zero fun for sure. So yeah, how did, how did day three go? I mean, it sounded like even starting was, was a task. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we started out on single track that day and, and yeah, it actually felt really good. And I somehow managed to be like out in front of the group. And so I think, you know, for parts of the other days I had been feeling like, you know, I mean, nobody wants to be the slowest person in the group, you know? And so, uh, times I was probably worried, like, Oh, I hope I'm not holding them up or like they're not mad at me for having to wait and so actually that the first part of that day i was like i'm gonna make an effort to like just get out and and stay at the front of the group as much as i can stop as as little as i can and so yeah through the single track yeah i was i was feeling pretty good it was scenic and you know kind of interesting i think that really helped me like just being able to like move my body too with single track, like through the curves and stuff. You're not in like the static body position, which can be mm-hmm. painful and also just like really repetitive and monotonous. And so like early on in that day or, you know, like 10 or 12 miles in, there's this giant uh, river crossing and it's, I think, yeah, people know it like, if you've ever researched the hurricane, like you've seen pictures of this part of the course, it's like, yeah, probably the most photogenic or whatever. But yeah, I mean, the river is like waist deep and you got to carry your bike over your head. And and so I was the first one there and was kind of all by myself. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to like get across, figure it out on my own and did that. I got across and yeah, felt really good. And rest of the guys caught up and was able to take photographs and everything. And so, yeah, I was, I was feeling pretty good at the start of the day, but yeah, as the day went on, I just, I think was mentally checked out and I was like, I'm, (laughs) I'm ready to be done with this. And yeah, to be honest, like, I think I started making just like, like bad decisions as well. Like, you know, just being fatigued and frustrated and, yeah, all of those things. And like, you know, I, I forgot that the single track was the best part. And so we're like looking at the map and I'm like, Oh no, like there's single track up here. Like I'm going to, what's the alternate, you know, like there were a couple of spots where you could take alternates around single track It's like the hurricane light route. And one of the guys, Borja uh, was taking some of those alternates. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to do the alternate. Like I don't, single track's going to be too hard and I'm tired and just want to get this over with. And so, yeah, I ended up missing some of the best parts, which in hindsight probably probably wasn't a good decision. Yeah. There's definitely a thing is too much single track. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, I noticed that when I was doing BC bike race, um, after a while and they designed the course like that too, to give you breaks on gravel roads and stuff. But it, I mean, yeah, it just demands so much more of you. And especially if you're already, that fatigued at that point, it's like, no, I don't want yeah. to I just want to <laughs> like get distance done on the road. And yeah, it's weird. Cause I, 
I don't know, even looking back, like, was it my body or was it my mind that was fatigued? And I don't think it was my body necessarily. I mean, it was, my body was in a lot of pain and yeah, I was tired, but at the same time, like looking back at the single track parts, like that's where actually my mind was feeling good where I'm like, okay, I'm enjoying this. This is interesting, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, if, and when I do it again, I definitely will want to not miss those single track sections. I mean, that's, that's the good stuff, at least for my mind. Well, if you do it again, maybe you'll start the race in reverse order and that would be the first, (laughs) those would be the first trails you get to experience. Yeah. Yeah, Well, and so that either way you go, it is a lot of single track at the start um, and at the finish. And so I was dreading that because I knew to get back to the start, we had like 30 miles of single track. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of the point where I was like, I don't think I can do it. You know, like I'm just ready to be done. And so, yeah, I like kind of plotted my own course that avoided that single track and yeah, made it back. Yeah. Was that a hard uh, decision to make at that point where, I mean, you're, you got almost three days, like completely behind you. And it's like one of those situations where you're so close, but still yet so far. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. One of the, guys um i heard heard two of the guys in our group like talking and they were like yeah so you know when we were stopped at this uh convenience store is one of the three checkpoints there's like three checkpoints along the route where you need to like take a selfie showing that you were there so this was the third and final checkpoint um and you know we had been at the store for i don't know a while just like kind of laying in the grass and i heard two of them saying yeah you know it looks like probably be getting in at like one thirty or two. And I was like, I was like one thirty or two. I mean, I didn't say anything. I was just completely silent. I think that was, that's my coping mechanism. That's how, what they all learned is like when I'm frustrated or, um, whatever, like I just get really quiet. And so <laughs> I'm listening to this and thinking, I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not riding today. I mean, this was like 4 PM already. And I was like, I can't ride until one or 2 a.m. Like, I didn't even realize we were that long to go. And these guys who are, again, like, much better shape and faster and more experienced than me were saying it's going to take that long. And that kind of did it for me where I was like, nope, I'm not <laughs> not in for that. What's, yeah, what's, what are my alternatives? And so, yeah, I plotted out a course. I just, you know, pulled out Google Maps and was like, Shangri-La campground and it gave me this like you know 45 mile route that you know on the map it looked great and I was like hey guys I'm gonna take this route says I'm gonna be back at like I forget what it said like 7 or 8 p.m. I was like "I'll, I'll just see you guys see you guys out there and so yeah I went out on my own and it was interesting the Google route like put me on bunch of dirt roads and like at one point it was like an atv trail like i couldn't believe this stuff was in google maps like (laughs) yeah i did put it on the bicycle routing or whatever but um at one point there was a swamp that like completely covered the road for like hundreds of yards so i had to figure out how to like route around and through the swamp to keep going so and i kind of liked it it was nice to be like okay i'm going at my pace and Mm -hmm you know, seeing, seeing some stuff on my own. And then at the same time though, I was like, this is really dumb. Like I should not be out here by myself where nobody knows where I am. And, you know, I could get lost. I could get hurt. Like, you know, again, like not good decision-making. And then I also got onto some roads like this route, put me on some really busy roads, like 55 mile an hour roads with like no shoulder and, you know, it's just cars and trucks just blasting by me. And so I kept like rerouting myself. So I would like find a, a less busy street and just like Google, just I'm going this way. Tell me <laughs> how do I get there going on this road? And so all these reroutes ended up adding up too. And so like I didn't end up getting in until like 9.30 or 10 that night. So I didn't even save that much time. So yeah, again, it was, it was a dumb decision. And in hindsight, I definitely should have just stuck it out and like ridden with 
with the other guys definitely would have been safer. But at the same time, like I did get a different perspective because, you know, riding with a group is great, but I also felt like the stress of it because I felt like, you know, Oh, am I slowing them down? Like, you know, I need to stop. They don't need to stop or they're stopping, but I don't want to stop right now. Like I I just want to keep going and get some more miles. So it did feel sort of liberating. And before that point, I couldn't imagine there were a lot of solo riders. There are plenty of people who bike pack solo, especially if you're racing. And so, you know, before that I was like, I can't imagine why would you do that? That sounds so, so boring, but seeing like the other side of it going on your own, there are definitely some advantages to doing it that way as well. Yeah. I guess you just, you never kind of going off for yourself like that. It's like something you unanticipated that you're going to run into all these other obstacles and seemed like the most logical decision at the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, uh, when I did the crusher or like the mini crusher, whatever, it was still like 50 miles in Michigan last year. And it was by myself, like out in the woods for eight hours or something like that. And at first it was cool, but the novelty wore off really, really quickly. And then it's like, okay, it's like still six hours to go by myself. And you're kind of just ready to see people after that. And yeah, there's like kind of an adventure side to it, like knowing that you've conquered that by yourself. But then there's also the worry in the back of your head the whole time where you're out in the back country by yourself. And like, I sure, sure hope everything goes right, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so that was, you said it was 45, it gave you 45 miles. Uh, what was the alternative? Like if you had rode with the group? I think it was maybe another 60 or so. So yeah, the, the route I chose in theory would have saved me some miles, but again, yeah, there were just so many like reroutes and didn't end up going the most direct way back. And yeah. And again, like I, I missed some of the most rewarding parts of the ride in terms of just like single track and, and just like beautiful areas instead of these highways were <laughs> not so beautiful. <laughs> since you had, you mentioned taking a picture at three checkpoints, like since you had hit those, but you took a different route. Um, I mean, does that uh, qualify or, or is it considered as, as completing the hurricane 300? Uh, I would say no, I don't think it does, but yeah, I mean, I don't even remember too, when you sign up, like you say, are you racing it or are you just touring it? And um, I certainly was just touring it. I was not there to like get an official time or finishers buckle or anything like that at all. So, yeah, I mean, I think in bikepacking, I thought about that a lot too. I mean, there are definitely a lot of these like spoken and unspoken rules and like codes of conduct when it comes to bikepacking races in particular. And yeah, I mean, deviating off of course, like even I think maybe for this one, they even say explicitly like, you need to stay within a hundred feet of the course, like the whole time. And if you, if you do need to like leave the course to go like to a bike shop or, you know, grab some food, like you, you got to reenter it at the same point. And so, mm. yeah, because I was not, not even close to like following the course exactly or, or being, you know, super careful like that, then yeah, no, I mean, I don't think, I don't think that counts as a finish. Yeah. Do you wish you'd just stayed with the group? Yeah, I do. And, but it's weird, right? Like, yeah, I'm trying not to like beat myself up for it and say like, oh, I regret it because mm -hmm. again, like if I put myself back in that position, you know, at mile 300, uh, where I was deciding like, should I, should I keep going or should I like get back as soon as possible? I think I would make the same decision again, just given like, my mental state and, and fatigue and all that. So yeah, I don't like fault myself for it, but it definitely like leaves me wanting to like do it again and, and do the whole course. Yeah. Right. Like that's it's a totally sane decision for how you're feeling at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back now, it's like, Oh sure. I'd do it. I feel great, but that's just cause I feel great. And <laughs> who knows? Right. Knows if I'm not feeling great, I, I probably wouldn't make that decision. And it sounds like you guys kind of just got some rest and packed up and hit the road and, and went home. Any any sort of like ceremony uh, as far as uh, finishing the trip? No, not really. We ate at a Waffle House next morning, so that was kind of kind of a celebration. Well, just two of us did, because um, yeah, the other guys had to get back, and 
you know, I, I think part of that made it tougher too, was it sort of played into my decision about like shortcutting the very end. Um, just because I knew that, you know, we needed to get back. Like our plan was to be done Monday night. And, um, there was also like a ton of rain forecast for Tuesday. And so one of, even before this all started, you know, I thought, okay, you know, if I'm, if I'm falling a little behind this schedule, like maybe I'll camp out on Monday night and then, you know, finish up Tuesday morning, you know, maybe I'll get a hotel and like basically add a half day onto this trip. But because of the weather and just getting a ride back and all that stuff, that kind of wasn't an option. So yeah, I think if I, if I had the option to extend it out and to say, I'll do another extra half day. I probably would have done that, but yeah, it wasn't, wasn't really an option. Yeah. Uh, what do you, what do you think you learned about bikepacking or ultra endurance riding that you didn't expect? Yeah. So lots of stuff for sure. You know, I think, I think one of the big learnings I had was just like how difficult bikepacking is, um, especially if you're racing or you're trying to like keep a certain pace, you know, it's sort of an aggressive pace. And, you know, part of that started with me like underestimating how difficult the riding would be in Florida. Cause you know, it's like, it's Florida, it's flat and, right. and yeah. <laughs> it, it truly is flat. Like I'm not here to say like, Oh, there's actually big Hills. Like aside from those, you know, Florida Pyrenees, which were not even big Hills, yeah, I mean, it is flat, but the, the thing is just, just the constant need to pedal really just kind of saps your strength and your mental energy. And so, yeah, I definitely underestimated the difficulty. And then the other big thing was just underestimating how much time it would take. And, you know, again, like, like you asked about, you know, what did we do at night? It's like, I imagined we would have lots of time to just chill and like, take pictures, you know, I mean, I was there in part to like, you know, obviously I'm checking out a lot of equipment that I was planning to review afterward, but also, yeah, I wanted to document the trip. So I thought there would be time to like stop and take photos and like check out cool stuff. But, you know, really it's like, you're just pedaling <laughs> the whole time. And when you're not pedaling, you're stopped and you're like digging in your pack, finding a pack of crackers and like chomping them down real fast and drinking something so you can get back on the bike. And I mean, so much so that like, I didn't even really have time to think. It wasn't like, I thought too, there'd be lots of like, you're riding along and you're like thinking about stuff and coming to these revelations and, you know, just be like a real relaxing time. But it was like, you know, the whole time you're just thinking, I was just thinking like, all right, where are we going next? Have I eaten? Do I have enough water? Like, you know, where are we going to sleep tonight? Are we on pace? Like it's just that stuff just filled my head. And I think part of that too, I, I'm sure I'm doing it wrong. Like there's, <laughs> that's, that can't be how you're supposed to do it. And so maybe this is because it was my first time and, and that gets easier the more you do it or, or once you have experience. But yeah, I just, the whole time felt really consumed with just like trying to, trying to keep going everything right yeah like there's a schedule that you kind of have to adhere to that you're you're trying to make and so it's not like you're just sort of leisurely getting from point a to point b or point b mm -hmm. yeah and that exists like you know i talked to jero about bikepacking and it's like that's the kind he does for sure and it's that's the part i was like okay that sounds like a lot of fun and so i guess i learned too there's different styles and forms of bikepacking racing being the extreme end. And again, I was not even racing. Um, I can't even imagine what that feels like or looks like, but yeah, then at the other end, it's like, Oh, let's just go like 10 miles today and like check out this cool waterfall and like go for a little swim and then, you know, have lunch out on the rock and then we'll set up camp early and build a fire. And, you know, I think, I think that's another form of bike backing. Definitely like to try next. Yeah. A little, a little easier going. <laughs> yeah. And I, I guess like what, what about your hands? <laughs> I know you, uh, you talked to some bike packers who have suffered from the, the same type of, um, I don't know, would you call it an injury? Um, uh, but yeah, apparently it's, it's really common. 
yeah, I reached out to a number of, of folks, Kurt Refsnyder, Eddie O'Day, Neil Belchenko, um, Leo Wilcox, Kate Boyle, um, and mentioned that my numb fingers and every one of them was like, oh yeah, like, I think they all said they'd experienced it and they definitely knew plenty of people who had as well. And, you know, for many of them, it, it lasted for weeks for, they also mentioned that for some people it lasts for months. Um, and so, yeah, I got some good exercises, uh, for doing something called nerve flossing. So, so that was a new one to me. Uh, but yeah, there's lots of good YouTube videos about how to do that and you know, hopefully hopefully I'll recover soon. Yeah. <laughs> uh anything else you wanted to wanted to add in about your time on the hurricane? Um well one of the the good surprises I guess was that um all of the gear held up. Like even in our group of four, we did not have a single mechanical that I can think of. If we did it was minor. I mean not even so much as a flat tire. Nobody had a, a flat or even needed to add air to their tire along the course, which, yeah, it was pretty awesome. I mean, obviously we were prepared with all kinds of tools and extra parts and things like in case anything happened. But yeah, one within like the first two miles or so, uh, there was a guy in front of us who like snapped his chain and he's like pulled over to the side and, and we roll up to him and we stop and like, Oh, Hey, yeah, you got everything. And he's like, uh, I think so. And we said like, Oh, do you have like a quick link so you can put it back together? And he's like, Oh no, I didn't bring one of those. And we're like, Oh, okay. Like what size? And he's like 11 speed and like Borja. He had like a nine, 10 and 11 speed in his pack somehow. <laughs> like he had all these quick links. And so he digs through his pack and gives one to the guy. And then, and you know, you see the guy like kind of futzing around with it. And then somebody asks him like, you have a chain tool. You need a chain tool. He's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't have one of those. So we're like, okay, <laughs> here's the chain tool. And then like his girlfriend was there uh, with him. And you know, she's just like, I can't believe this. Like he didn't bring a, cause she had like a, she had like a 12 speed quick link and like, couldn't, he couldn't use hers, but yeah, it was like that stuff. I was sure that would happen to us. Um, but yeah, everything held up well. And, um, you know, I was, again, this is my first time. So I had all kinds of like, never really had a lot of experience with bike bags, like frame packs and seat bags and all that stuff. And everything ended up helping holding together really well. And so, yeah, I was really pleased with the gear side of it. That, that was not an issue at all. So it was all, <laughs> it was all just me and my body that were kind of the, they were the main constraints to, to finishing strong. Yeah. Cause you throw a, a good mechanical in there and things really get frustrating. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I was hoping someone would have a mechanical so I could rest like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, Oh you got to change your tire. Okay, cool. I'm going to lay down here. Um, let me know if you need anything. Right. <laughs> did you guys see any wildlife? Uh, we did see a little bit, but yeah, none of the like big stuff that I was hoping to see like alligators. We, we did see alligators. I will, I should say we did. Um, but it was at night and we were, yeah, kind of like shining a light, like way across this lagoon and yeah, you could see like the eyes, sticking up. Um, so yeah, I didn't see like a full on alligator, which I wanted to. Um, and then there were bears too. Um, this was on that day when I was actually riding out front on the single track and the guys behind me, they finally caught up and were like, Oh, did you see that, that bear and the, the cubs? And I was like, no, I didn't see that at all. Like, oh yeah, I missed it. So yeah. So there, there were bears and alligators and then obviously lots of birds and deer and squirrels and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we saw a lot of roadkill too, armadillos and cats and dogs. And yeah. Yeah. I, that's what would have concerned me, especially at that. Cause I'd seen some photos of that river crossing and it looks deep. Um, yeah. Snakes or gators or whatever. All right. Um, 
Well, thanks for telling us about the Hurricane 300, Jeff. I am definitely not convinced that I will do it, but uh, it's a good story. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and yeah, I'll end it by saying that, um, yeah, this was definitely type two fun type of thing that is not fun while you're doing it, but yeah, looking back on it, it's like good memories and, and something too to like, motivate me to try to to try to do better the next time and to like figure stuff out and learn more and go back and enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of that, that pain and, um, accomplishment is the reward afterward. And, and you look back on it and it is a little, you walk away with some good memories that you didn't really anticipate having. Yeah. definitely. Awesome. Um, well, thanks everybody for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. If you haven't already rated and reviewed the Single Tracks podcast in your podcast app, now's the time to do it. We're randomly selecting listener reviews to read on the show. And if we choose yours, you'll get a free Single Tracks hat in the mail. Hit pause right now, write a quick review, and then listen to future episodes to find out if you won yourself a hat. Happy trails.